Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. All right, that's, that's uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 22, and it's 976 in the uh, hymnals in front of you. Excuse me, the Bible's in front of you. Um, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceedingly richness of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments, created in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you, who were afar off and to those who were near. And through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Um, and so we, we believe that today, and I pray that we experience that deeply. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and um, we thank you for our time together today, um, seated around your word. Um, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity this morning to open it, um, to share, to teach, um, for the study, um, and, and Lord, I just pray that, that we truly would um, leave this place uh, more deeply in love with, with you, uh, more grateful for our salvation, uh, more convinced of the peace that we have um, through Christ, and um, Lord, that, that our joy would be full today. We love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you may have a seat. Welcome. It is good to see you. Um, as we push through, um, not push through, I don't really like to say it like that, but as we 
um, venture through the Advent season. Today we come um, to the idea, the truth, the reality, the topic of peace. Uh, peace. Um, I told a, a, um, an Afghan neighbor of mine yesterday, one of our Afghan neighbors from Afghanistan, I, I told him yesterday um, that I would be teaching today about peace. Um, and so I got a little, uh, a, a little uh, uh, language lesson there at his home, and, and I asked him to help me say peace in his language. Um, I think it is uh, Sula. Is, am I right? This is, I think it's in the Pashto language. Sula, um, I don't know if it's right. I may have totally, uh, totally, uh, you know, slaughtered that one. But um, Sula, uh, maybe there's a little bit of a Saula there. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I heard him say this yesterday, and then last night, as I was kind of wanting to insert this into to my sermon today, I actually sent him an audio message, and I have to speak real slowly with him, and he has to speak real slowly with me. Um, and I said, "Hey, brother." Remind me how you say peace. Uh, when you want to ask someone in, 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 in his language how you say something, you say chiwe. Um, and so in Spanish, I think it's como se dice. That's, that's, that's how you say, how do you say? Well, in uh, Pashto, you say chiwe. How do you say? Um, and so I said chiwe, peace, chiwe, peace. And he, he messaged me back and he, he said uh, sola, uh, much better than, than I could say it. Um, but more than just learning the word in his language, uh, more importantly, I asked him if he understood what it meant. Do you understand what peace is? Do you understand what, what this idea of peace is? And so it was an opportunity for me to, to engage with this, with this neighbor of mine um, about the idea of peace. Um, and so he began talking to me about much of the chaos and the turmoil that he experienced over the course of his life as a man living in Afghanistan. Um, if, you've, if you've kept up with the news or really world history at all, um, you know that, that, that our, our, our neighbors that are from that part of the world are very familiar with turmoil and chaos um, and, and, um, and the things that are associated with those things. And so he began to, to tell me about the chaos, the carnage the reality of, of brokenness in his own way, the reality of hostility um, is, as much as he could comprehend um, and, un, and understand from, from, a, from a person not of the faith that he told me about this hostility that was there. He, he spoke to me about a time where he experienced peace, um, but that things were no longer peaceful. Um, and then I, in the best way that I could, I asked him about peace inside. So we, we started talking about peace in the world and, and peace where he lived and all those things. And so I then turned the question on him and, and my other friend there. I said, what about peace here, Sula, here, inside? And he, he, he acknowledged that he understood that there was, a, there, there was at least a, something to be pursued internally when it came to peace. And so he agreed with me that internal peace resonated with him and that it was something that he desired to have. Pretty amazing thing, huh? He desires to have this peace. Um, the reality is, is that many of us need that kind of peace, right? Um, you've, you've lived your life um, with a longing for peace at different times. Um, you've, you have realized the hostility and the chaos and the turmoil in the world, but especially in your own heart and mind. Um, and we all know what it is like 
to long for peace. Maybe you can recall a time. I, I don't wanna, I, I really don't say this lightly because I was, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about saying this and I thought, wow, this could actually really bring up some, some deeply hurtful things for people. But I do wanna just put it before us. Maybe, that you, maybe you can recall a time in life when peace was the furthest from your reality, um, where peace seemed as absent to you as sunlight is to the night. Uh, maybe, maybe there was a, a time in your life that you, can, that you really can remember. I mean, you can feel a moment where you felt like the ground beneath you was going to crumble. And so we all know what it looks like to, to long for peace. We all know what it feels like to, for peace to feel absent from us. In fact, a neighbor of mine this week, you know, just a little more closer to home, a neighbor of mine this week found out that her mother has a golf ball-sized tumor behind her right eye and, and has two to four months to live. This is a, a next-door neighbor of mine, someone that I know does not have peace, this internal peace, but has confided in me asking for prayer and asking that, that, the, that the Lord would heal her and so peace can feel so distant, it can feel non-existent. But here's what the message of Advent tells us. So as, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of like, man, pep up a little bit, Nathan, let's go. We'll get there. We'll get there. But what the message of Advent and the birth of Christ, let me just say, confidently proclaims to us is that even in the midst of these moments where peace evades us, that peace has come. That's what, that's what the scriptures confidently proclaim. And remember last week, I really like what Kevin said. Um, Kevin affirmed the reality that, that feelings can be a good thing, right? Sometimes you, you, you have the Lord gives us, he's created us, he gives us, I don't know what you wanna call it, I'm not trying to be kitschy or anything like that, but he just somewhat gives us maybe this compass, maybe this, this conscience, maybe this thing in our mind where we know something's not right, or where we, where we feel like something's off. But at the same time, feelings never are a very good driver, right? Feelings are never a good driver. They're never our, our highest authority. They're never our, our guiding light in life. They may be good, but they are not good as a driver or as an authority in our lives. And so what I want us to point us to is that the scriptures, though we may not feel the truth of peace that the scriptures proclaim to us, the scriptures proclaim peace to us. And so today, as a church, I just want to, from the word, proclaim peace over us because it's what the, the word does. I was, I was studying this and uh, I, was, I, I have a, a Bible resource that I use and it says that in the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, which is what we typically preach from here, uh, we're not dogmatic about that, by the way, uh, but, but in the ESV, that peace appears 367 times in 340 verses in the ESV. 367 times. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Um, for each day of the year. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be all cute and kitschy and things like, things like that, but it's, isn't it interesting that 367 times peace appears in the Word um, for those 365 days where you need peace and then those couple days where you need a little bit of extra peace, Right? Um, 367. If you didn't know, kids, this is your school lesson for today. Uh, there are 365 days in a year, so um, keep that in mind. But, it, but this sounds about right for us. And so there are three things that I would like for us to consider um, on the subject of peace today. 
Um, and I want us to mainly look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, which, which Jim has read for us this morning. And along with each of these three things that we're going to pull out of Ephesians 2, 1 through 22, I do think that there are some key passages. I had a, I had a really hard time settling this week on exactly where to, for us to study this morning on the idea and the, the, the truth of peace. And so with each of these three things, we're not only going to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 22, but there will be some... Um, some complementary passages, some, uh, I, don't know, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but some, some side-by-side passages that we'll also look at that will help us to understand this idea of peace. And so here's those three things. I like to give you the three things, and I like to tell you about the three things, all right? Here's the three things. The first thing that we're going to see in our text today is the promise of peace. The second thing that we're going to discuss is the presence of peace. And the third is the power of peace. The promise of peace, the presence of peace, and the power of peace. And so first, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the promise of peace. Someone, would someone read, and we're going to be, be kind of interactive today, someone read for me real loudly um, Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 13. Go through 13 if you would. The promise of peace is what I want us to see here. So Ephesians 2 um, opens, Ephesians is a wonderful book, by the way, Um, but but Ephesians 2 opens with, uh, for us, with a reminder that there was a time when peace was not what marked the people of God's interaction with God. Um, So there was once a time in your history and mine um, and in the history of those who Christ has brought in um, to the people of God, there was once a time where what marked the the relationship was not peace. Um, Rather, what defined our relationship to God was, was death, was deadness, was trespasses and sins, was being ruled by fleshly desires and thoughts that what marked 
the relation between us and God before Christ intervened and saved us um, was hostility and wrath. There was hostility between us and God. This was our standing. We stood, as, as unpopular as it is to talk about today, we stood as enemies of God, subjects of his wrath. And then it goes on in Ephesians 2 later, in, in, in these, these later verses 11 through 13, it goes on to say that we were foreigners or strangers to the promises of God without hope and without God. And I ask you, church, I've I really want to ask you this. Do you, do you remember that time? Do you remember living in that way? Maybe you were young when, when, when you came to faith in Christ. Maybe you were older when you came to faith in Christ, which you probably would have a little bit better time, easier time remembering what life was like before Christ. But do you remember that time? Do you remember that time in your life where what marked your interaction with God was not fellowship, was not justification, but what was separation from him? What was hostility? What was, what was you being an instrument of, of wrath, of the wrath of God, but yet what Ephesians 2 tells us, that, that he saved us. But saints, that is not all that the scripture says about our relation to God. That was, uh, that was what we would call BC, before Christ, right? Before Christ, that's who we were. That's what marked us. Two of the most powerful words in the scriptures are these, but God. But God. You see, did you see that in Ephesians 2? Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And, it, and, it, and it's like, man, this is, this is who I was. This is, this, is, this is what marked who I was. This is what marked my relationship with God was enmity. And then look at 4 and then what follows 4. The first two words of verse 4 are, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Two of the most powerful words in the scriptures and two of the most pivotal words in your life, believer, is that, but God. But God who is rich in mercy. If, if not but for an inbreaking of the spirit of God into our hearts, our, our diagnosis of, of being wrath-receiving strangers to the promises of God would remain the same. But if the Spirit of God came in and flooded our hearts, we believed in, in who Christ said that he is, and this inbreaking of the Spirit of God, it was not some hip-shot peripheral intervention by God. Can I tell you that? It wasn't as if God got to like those... It wasn't So, the, so, so you know that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament? where there's probably a blank page in your Bible. That's, I think that, I, I don't know for sure, I, I, I think what that uh, symbolizes about 400 years of silence from God. That for 400 years, the people of God did not hear from God. And so let me just tell you what God was not doing in that 400 years. He was not trying to figure out what in the world he was gonna do with this mess down here. That's not at all what he was trying to do. We know that because the scriptures tell us that this plan that, 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 uh, that, that God set in motion to send his son began before the foundations of the world. And so this, this intervention, this, this hip shot, this, this, this intervention by God was not, like I said, a hip shot peripheral um, choice by God, but it was set in place before the foundation of the world. And not only that, the prophet Isaiah, this is where... If you're like, where's Christmas? Here's Christmas, okay? The prophet Isaiah, some 800 years prior to the book of Ephesians, 
said this. Isaiah 9. Someone, would, would someone turn to Isaiah chapter 9? I, I kind of sprung that one on you. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Um, if, you're, if you do have one of the, the Bibles that we provide, I'll give you the page number. Um, that's 573, so you can get there quick. But someone read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. <laughs> I, it wasn't until this week that I really recognized that last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so, church family, this was your salvation. Your salvation not only was not some hip shot peripheral intervention by God, It was a plan set in motion before the foundations of the world. And what Isaiah tells us is that it was the zeal of the Lord to send his son, Jesus. His passion, as we heard last week from Kevin so so well, that the love of Christ. It's the love of God for us. Ephesians chapter two tells that. But God being rich in mercy because of what? Because of the great love, not because he was fed up, but because of his great love for us. And so this and the other Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Lord is not only, is a promise not only of a coming, but a coming that would usher in salvation to the world not just another figure, it's just not a, just another historical man who showed up, but, the, but the, the life, the birth and the life and the death resurrection of Jesus was foretold, but within all of that, and what was most important about the prophecies concerning the Messiah is that he would save his people, that he would save his people. And so this leads us to the amazing reality of our second point today, and that's the presence of peace and if there, was like a, if there was like a meat and potatoes portion of, this, of, of, of the teaching today, it's really right here, because I really want us to get what the text says about the presence of peace. We've got to see it. And so would somebody read for us verses 14 through 16, just three verses. Wow. Notice what verse 14 says about this peace. This is really what I want us to see. Notice what verse 14 says about our peace. For he himself is our peace. Don't miss this. What the scriptures tell us most fundamentally about this peace is that peace is a person. 
That's, um, Ephesians 2 says this plainly, that he himself is our peace. Um, the scriptures tell us that peace is a person and we are going to name him. What's his name? Say it, church. Jesus. This week I was reading an article. I was telling somebody about this the other day. Um, I was reading an article. I, I, I'm going to... I, I, I hesitate to even tell you what it was. It was an article about Friends, the TV show Friends. Um, and the actor, Matthew Perry, um, apparently, I've, I've never watched Friends, by the way, um, but, but apparently the, the actor, Matthew Perry, um, made some statement to a reporter um, that, that he certainly believes in a higher power and that he has a deep relationship with him. Nowhere in this article did I see Matthew Perry name who this person, who he had such this deep, intimate relationship with. Not one time did I ever see him name him. So what do I mean by that? Well, we will name who this is. It's Jesus. That's who this is, who we worship, who we adore. It's Jesus. Can you imagine if I... Um, was, was out and about, and I, I told everyone that I have this deep personal relationship um, with this nice lady right here. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, what's, what's her name? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. The, the only thing that you could deduct from that is that I was a stalker, right? I, I don't know her name, but I, but I love her. I love her. If anyone ever tells you that, you need to get away from them because that you're, you're, you're just a fanatic or, or a or a stalker. But, but notice what Philippians 2 says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so what Ephesians 2 tells us about peace is that peace is not an idea. So churches, this is what we need to hear. Peace is not an idea. Peace is not a theory. Let me take it a little bit deeper. Peace is not even a, a doctrine, primarily. Is there, is there something to be studied about peace? Yes. But what Ephesians 2 tells us is that peace is not primarily an idea. It's not primarily a theory. It's not primarily a doctrine. It's primarily and ultimately a person, Christ, who we will, who we will name. But doesn't, but doesn't Matthew 10, 34 say that Jesus came not to bring peace? Some, some, some of those who are critical in here, yeah, like, I, yes. The, the word does say that. It, it most certainly says that. And, and what he said that about was the kind of peace that we often so desperately search for and can't find. The kind of peace that Jesus is saying that he came not to bring is the theoretical and the, the, the ideal of peace that we so often search for outside of himself, outside of himself. This was the, the kind of peace that Jesus is talking to in Matthew 10. The kind of peace that he is referring to is the kind of peace that the Jewish people were, were also looking for. They were looking for security, safety. They were looking for prominence in the world and, and deliverance from all of their earthly oppressors, really a, a limited temporal kind of peace. But the peace that God promises to us is not merely peace as a cessation of hostility and chaos, right? I mean, maybe, there's, there's no one's experience in here who would, who would jive with that definition of peace, is there? 
your, your, your experience with, with peace is not the, the cessation of hostility and turmoil, is it? So what kind of peace could Jesus be talking about? This is, a, this is not a peace as a cessation of hostility and chaos, but a peace that brings rich, full, abiding harmony of life with God. Just a, a rich, full, abiding harmony of life with God. And so the peace that the world was promised in Isaiah 9 the whole, the whole Christmas story, that the, the Savior come, the, he'll, he'll be called the, the Prince of Peace. This kind of peace promised in Isaiah 9 was experienced when in John 1 it says, the word became flesh and what? He dwelt among us. So this peace that was promised was just that, the presence of God. There's a reason why John the writer says, the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word dwelt among his people. Do you know how hard of a concept that would be to understand? Fleming Rutledge calls this, uh, refers to this as majesty stooped. Majesty, the high king of heaven came from heaven to dwell among his people. And so the, the peace that was promised was was not an idea of peace. It wasn't that Jesus came and sat on an earthly throne and ruled from there and made sure all the nations were in order. No, the peace that was promised was the presence of God. Jesus, we name him. Jesus, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so it is precisely in this way that Jesus showed us that we ought to understand peace. Turn to John 16. This is another one of those passages that we're gonna use this morning to to really understand what the, the scriptures teach us about peace. John chapter 16. Jesus has, has shown us in John 16 that true peace is present only when he is with us, right? So, so true peace is only present when Jesus is with us. But, but this text, isn't this Jesus talking about him leaving his people? Isn't this text him, him leaving? So if peace is a person, and that person is Jesus, and Jesus is leaving, then we've got a big problem, don't we? Well, no, Jesus, however, assures us that with his, with his ascension, we're not abandoned. We're not abandoned. No, we are not abandoned. In fact, now we not only have the presence of God with us, but the presence of God is now in us through the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is not only with us, but dwells in us as the dwelling place of God. Look at John chapter 16. I want to I read um, chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. It says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is just kind of a a side note, and you can email me uh, if you don't agree or if you have questions. But one of my seminary professor's jokes um, about um, that whenever he, he has someone who's obsessed with talking to him about the Holy Spirit, he reminds that person the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about Jesus. That, 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 when, that when you want to talk to about the Spirit, the Spirit wants to talk about Christ. And that's what, that's what this says. It says, Jesus says here, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that, and he will take, said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so Jesus tells us why he's doing this. Let's look at John 16, 33. This is the really the, the crux of, of this passage. Look at John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in the world, in the presence of tribulation, yet filled with the Spirit of God. Can I just tell you, no Jesus, no peace. But no Jesus, no peace. You understand what I'm saying there? Without Jesus, there is no peace. But knowing Jesus allows you to know peace. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace, right? Amen? The Bible doesn't say that. It's just kind of a, it sort of says that. But So again, in this world of tribulation, but filled, but filled with the Spirit of God. You know why? Because Jesus is declaring to us that without Christ, without he himself, who is our peace, there is no peace. So peace, again, is not some idea that you can achieve or comprehend. It blows all philosophical concepts out of the water because you cannot wrap your mind around the peace of God that is explicitly connected in the scriptures with the presence of God in your life. And so church family, know that. So, so, so what that means for us is like, okay, I... I know that I'm a child of God. Okay, can I tell you then that, that peace is possible in your life? That peace is, is, is there? That you have within you the presence of God who the scriptures tell us that the presence of God is what gives us the peace of God? Not, again, Jesus, Jesus I love how honest Jesus is. Jesus, like if, if Jesus were trying to fabricate some kind of new world religion, surely he would surely he wouldn't have said all the things that he said. He would not be real about the, he's like, hey, all of you should follow me. And oh yeah, you might die. <laughs> Nobody's making that kind of religion who, who ought to be followed. Nobody's making that up. Hey, follow me, but in the world you'll have tribulation. No, if I'm, if I'm creating something, I'm wanting to sell it. I want to sell it real good. And then whenever things do come up, I'm trying to make excuses. Well, you know, it's just like a user error, you know, just... It's on, it's on you. 
No, no, that's not what Jesus does. And so the question that we have now is what kind of credibility does this piece have? Um, What power does it have? What power does this piece have? Well, Ephesians tells us about the power of this piece. And so third, we're going to look at the power of peace in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. Someone read for us Ephesians chapter 2, 17 through 22. So the question that we ought to be asking ourselves is if, if, if such peace is available and offered to us, but it is not a peace that negates the suffering of this world, what kind of peace are we even talking about, right? It seems like a natural question. It seems like, it seems like a logical question. Okay, we, we, Jesus is our peace, great. But it's a peace that doesn't, that doesn't negate the hostility and the turmoil of, of this life, what kind, of, what kind of peace are we talking about? Well, let, let me first say this. We'll, we'll get to that question. Let me first be very clear on something, that the fullness of the kingdom of God that we long for and wait for is the cessation of every and all forms of hostility, turmoil, and strife. The kingdom that's not yet here. The, the, the reality of the, of the reign um, and the, and the um, consummation of the full reign of Christ as it one day will be is not yet here. But when that arrives, yes, the peace that you have in mind that is void of all hostility and turmoil is gone. And so this is most certainly the kind of king that Jesus is and one day will fully reveal himself to be before all peoples and nations, but the work, and the work of redeeming and restoring all things has begun. That Jesus has set in motion with his death and resurrection a, 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 a evidence to the world that he is the, the king who is high and lifted up, that he is the one who conquered death and sin, and Satan. But we do acknowledge that peace is not only reserved for that day, but begins here and now for all who would trust in him. So what kind of peace is this, and what does this kind of peace accomplish now? Well, it is the peace, it is the kind of peace that is of eternal significance. It is the kind of peace that is of eternal experience that unless we experience then that day of peace that we long for now, that one day will come, that unless we experience it, it will only be a day of reckoning with our maker unless we have peace with God. That peace, the kind of peace that Jesus is talking most ultimately about in the scriptures is a kind of peace that we need between us and God. And as Ephesians tells us, also restores peace between us and our brothers and sisters, right? I'm amazed at the power of the gospel that the power of the gospel has between people. Man, I'd love to tell you a story. I just don't have time. I'd love to tell you a story about um, even just in the last few weeks how I've seen 
the way that the Lord is just showing that, hey, the gospel just starts to tear down walls between, between people. It's an amazing thing. And so it is this kind of peace that is of eternal significance. And so it's really this kind of peace, this, this peace between us and God, and the, and the peace that God accomplishes for us through his son, and, and that is able to restore peace between people, it is, it is really this kind of peace that this whole chapter speaks of, Ephesians chapter two. You know, like you see the progression of, of the peace talk in this chapter. First, it, it begins with really just our salvation. And then, it, and then it continues through the implications of this peace that we have now with God being justified by God. And so this relational peace purchased by Christ, it removes hostility between man and God and man with one another. And it is a peace that allows us to no longer define our relationship to God through terms of death, hostility, and wrath, rather life, fellowship, and mercy. Amen? That now because of the peace that God has brought to us, we no longer define our relationship with God through terms of death, hostility, and wrath, but life, fellowship, and and mercy. So this kind of peace ought to, ought to be understood in this way, and this is where we'll close with a reading from Romans chapter five. Let's keep talking about peace. Romans five, one through five says this. This is the kind of peace that the scriptures mainly talk about when it talks about the kind of peace that we long for. And if we have this peace, you have the presence of God dwelling within you. And the scriptures say, for he himself is our peace. Jesus, let's just kind of sum it up. John 16, Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving. And Jesus acknowledges that if I leave and I just leave you without, without a helper, you won't have peace. But Jesus says, I'm sending a helper. You will have peace because the presence of God will remain in you. And so Romans 5, this kind of peace that we're talking about ultimately is one of the most beautiful passages in all the scriptures. Therefore, which that's a good indicator that you need to go read everything that leads up to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by works, no. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character and Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have peace with God, and we are at peace with God because of what Christ has done and because Christ is gracious in sending to us a helper, the Spirit of God, who dwells within his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that peace is, is possible. Lord, we don't feel that. Lord, I, I imagine that there are, are stories and circumstances of people in this room um, 
who, who could teach me a little something about what peace is. And so, Lord, would you help me to not be, to not be glib, um, to, to not be shallow in teaching what your word says about peace. Um, but, Lord, your word would guide us that those who don't have peace, Lord, that, that even if, if someone is a child of you and is struggling to find that peace, that what we would do is that we would weep with those who weep, we would rejoice with those who rejoice, um, and that, Lord, you would help us have opportunities to remind, uh, renew our minds on the truth of your word, that peace is present, peace is possible. And so, Lord, I pray for, for our neighbors in this area. Lord, there are so many people right here in our zip code, in our neighborhood, who, who absolutely understand peace because they feel the absence of it. And so, Lord, we have the message um, that is able to, um, to preach peace, that you, are, that you yourself came and preached peace to us. And so, Lord, would we steward that well, preaching peace um, to, to those around us who have no peace. May we be confident in whose name it is that we magnify Jesus. Um, and may we, may we trust the work that, that you want to do in the lives of, of us and the lives of those around us. Lord, help us sing in response to you. Um, help us to understand what your word teaches. We pray these things in your name. Amen.